Good afternoon, everyone. And thank you for all of you coming, braving the cold, and joining us here in person. And also, thank you to many of you who are joining us online, as well as uh, to those of you who may be watching this event after the recording. My name is Danielle Resnick. I'm a senior research fellow here at IFPRI. And I'm pleased to welcome you to today's policy seminar on youth and jobs in rural Africa, Beyond Stylized Facts. This is a book that's been jointly published with IFPRI and Oxford University Press. It's also freely available to download from uh, IFPRI's website. Now, we know that uh, youth and youth employment is really an important topic for governments and the development community uh, because the ability of governments to be able to create jobs is really critical for economic transformation as well as for state legitimacy. And this is a really complex topic. It really involves looking at economic, demographic, political, and policy issues in an interactive lens. And this is exactly the intention of this book. So we're very lucky today to have the two uh, co-editors, James Thurlow and Valerie Mueller, to highlight some of the major themes of the book. So without further ado, I will introduce our speakers. James Thurlow is a senior research fellow here at IFPRI. He's originally from South Africa, which is one of the continent's uh, countries with one of the highest youth unemployment rates. And he's a development economist whose research focuses on the interactions between policies, economic growth, and poverty. Valerie Mueller is an assistant professor in the School of Politics and Global Studies at Arizona State University. Prior to joining ASU, she was a senior research fellow here at IFPRI for about seven years, and she remains a non-resident research fellow here. She is well known for her research on the drivers of migration and its impacts on rural welfare. So I'll first welcome James to the podium. So Africa has a youth problem, right? If we were honest, we'd admit that that's how we, um, that was how we originally started this project, with that view in mind. It motivated the book. And I'm sure there are many of you who are here or listening who, um, who share that view, who also concern, are concerned about Africa's so-called youth problem. If we were fair to ourselves, I think we would admit that we've all, seen, we've all seen the same numbers, right? We've seen projections like these on the screen telling us from the UN, telling us that 20 million new people are joining Africa's working age population every year. And that that number will rise to 30 million by 2050, right? This bulge in Africa's youth population is happening two or three decades after it occurred in other developing regions. And so what that means is that young African job seekers today are going to have to look for work in a far more competitive global economy. And there are many people who don't think that they will succeed. Right? We cannot deny that the scale of the youth challenge in Africa is daunting. And we're not alone in sharing that concern. Many governments in Africa and across the world are concerned about high youth unemployment in Africa and what it means for perhaps widespread youth protests or social unrest. New evidence from this book, from our book, confirms that, um, that well, shows that youth are only slightly more likely than adults to protest, but they are far more motivated by employment issues. Right? Youth are far more likely to protest when they're unemployed or when they lack trust in political and government institutions. And so it is crucial for governments in Africa to, to devise policies that meet the long-term needs of its youth, as opposed to catering to shorter-term political interests. So 
the challenge is real, right? And the concerns are justified. But is Africa's youth bulge really unprecedented? Right? To answer that question, we've got to go back to those population numbers. Right? We, can, we can use those, the population data to identify when Africa's youth bulge took place and when did the youth bulges take place in other developing regions. And we can compare the situation that Africa is in today to the situation that those regions were in two or three decades ago. Right? What we find is that while Africa's youth bulge is late, it's, not, its size is not too dissimilar to the youth bulges of other developing regions. It's roughly the same. So from the perspective of African countries themselves, the size of the youth bulge is not unprecedented, although it may look very large from smaller developed countries further north. Right? At the same time, Africa's economic performance, while not as good at, at during their youth bulge, was not as good as, say, East Asia's during the 15 years after its peak youth bulge, Africa is currently outperforming regions like South Asia, Latin America, Middle East, and North Africa when they experienced their youth bulges many years ago. So in that sense, Africa's youth bulge is not unprecedented, although the challenge is very real. Right? Um, so, um, so what is different about Africa's youth challenge? Right? Is there anything different? And the answer here is yes. So I think we all know that Africa is one of the fastest urbanizing um, populations in the world. But what makes Africa very different from other developing regions is that its rural population continues to grow rapidly as well. Right? And this is one of the reasons why we see that global poverty is rapidly concentrating in rural Africa. And what this means then is that agriculture, and the rural non-farm economy are going to have to play a far more important role in solving Africa's youth employment challenge than perhaps it did in other developing regions. Many young Africans today will inevitably have to find employment somewhere in Africa's agri-food system. But here there's some good news. Right? African agriculture is growing rapidly and in many countries is moving beyond those early stages of, of agricultural transformation. Many of you may be well familiar with, may be familiar with um, Peter Timmer's four stages of transformation. So in the early stages, agriculture transitions from a subsistence to a commercial sector. And then as this process unfolds and as farming comes rise, um, it, the, uh, the non-farm sector creates more job opportunities in the, in the rural economy. And so more people begin to work both on and off the farm, or perhaps specializing in, in non-farm employment. Eventually, urban growth and urban demand come to lead the national growth process. Right? And so um, that may encourage younger people to migrate to urban centers um, and create new market opportunities for rural products. In fact, you know, for many people, the fact that African youth are better educated than their elders is a cause for, for quite significant optimism about the future of, of rural youth in Africa. Right? For many people, youth are better educated. And so surely they would be more likely to adopt better farm technologies and help raise agricultural productivity. Um, youth are more likely, they're better educated, and so therefore surely they are more likely to start and run rural non-farm businesses or successful non-farm businesses. And then finally, youth with their better education, with their better familiarity with information technology, surely they are more likely to migrate and, and better link to those fast-growing urban markets. So in this sense, 
African youth may not just be beneficiaries of a rural transformation or an agricultural transformation process, they may become the very agents of change that rural Africa sorely needs. And so, in that sense, the development community is somewhat divided between anxiety on the one hand and also cautious optimism on the other hand. But the question is, are these facts, are these perceptions about rural youth and their role in the transformation process, are these valid? Are they always valid? Where are they valid? And so, um, unfortunately, many of these perceptions that we have about rural youth are born out or are based on global and regional studies. Studies that usefully derive generalizations about what is happening in Africa, but also run the risk of creating conventional wisdoms that end up being applied at the country level. And so one of the challenges that we take head on in this book is that we go beyond the regional trends and the national aggregates, and we use household survey and firm survey data to try and examine whether these stylized facts, these generalizations, are valid or where they are valid. And the 23 authors of the book provide new evidence on the role of youth in agricultural transformation and rural development. So to give you a quick outline of the book, we start by providing, uh, by putting Africa in the global and historical context. Some of the evidence from this chapter is what I've been drawing on right now. But we also have three thematic chapters in the book, which look at specific issues which we feel have generally been under-researched. Right, this includes um, whether or not youth are more likely to migrate to urban centers, and if they do, are they more likely, or do they benefit? Right? Um, we look at that issue within four African countries using newly available survey data. Secondly, are youth, well rep youth needs or youth issues well represented in national policies? The authors of this chapter devise us a, a, a novel way of classifying policies to identify the current status of those policies and also where the gaps may lie. And then thirdly, we look at whether youth are more likely to protest. Are those concerns that governments have about widespread protests valid? And why do youth, um, why, why when youth protest, are they more likely to be, um, to be protesting? We then turn to country case studies. And each of, these, each of these country case studies examines in more details those stylized facts linking youth to that timber process of agricultural transformation. And so that is a common framework that's applied across all of the chapters. But each chapter also goes into further depth about, particular is about issues that are particular to their country. So that includes land tenure security and how that affects decisions to move off the farm in, in Ethiopia. Limitations about employment data right, that may be um, underlying the apparently weak transformation, agricultural transformation that's taking place in Malawi. In Ghana, which is one of the fastest urbanizing countries in Africa, we look at whether peri-urban areas are creating job opportunities and what kind of job opportunities are they. And then in Tanzania, we use firm data to, to determine what are the factors that, that determine success of rural non-farm enterprises, right? And how do those determinants, how do those factors, how does that success differ between young, young, um, young business uh, owners? And then finally, in, in Senegal, we look at international migration and how that affects rural economies and what are the factors that determine whether young rural people move to other countries. We end the book by drawing together all of the lessons that we've learned and their implications for those stylized facts and encourage us to have a more nuanced understanding of what are the factors that, that determine the prospects and the role of youth in rural Africa. So I'm going to turn over to Valerie who's going to summarize those lessons.
Okay, so there are a lot of interesting findings that come out of this book, and I think the best way to communicate them is sort of to use the Timmer framework. So we're looking at the different stages of the transformation process and sort of what insights are we learning about Africa and how they might meet each of these phases. And so the first question we had was, are youth more likely to drive the transition from subsistence to commercial farming? And so one of the natural uh, questions that we wanted to look at was the extent that youth are sort of driving different patterns of technological adoption. And the evidence was mixed. So in the Ethiopia chapter, it seemed that youth were less likely to receive visits from extension agents or use improved technologies but they were more likely to adopt other types of technologies like tractors. And in Malawi, it depended on which youth category you were looking at. So in Malawi, if you were to look at you know, farmers that were ages 15 to 24, they were less likely to use modern inputs, but older youth were more likely to use those types of inputs. And in Ghana, clearly education was a very strong determinant of whether or not uh, the farmers were using various modern inputs. However, even when youth do use better technologies, there wasn't clear evidence that these technologies were translating into higher productivity. So that was an important thing that came out of this book. Um, we also wanted to look at to what extent youth were sort of pushing diversification out of farming. So to what extent are they more likely to engage in the non-farm rural sector? And in general, they were more likely to engage in the sector, but still the level of off-farm employment was quite low, or the rate of off off-farm employment, employment was quite low. Um, education continued to be the strongest determinant of whether or not youth were involved in non-farm employment, but of course on its own wasn't enough to ensure success. So we looked at a variety of associations between non-farm employment and, and other location characteristics, demographic characteristics across each chapter, and we found that in Ethiopia and Ghana it was really important for youth to have access to markets, transportation, and electricity, whereas in Malawi and Tanzania, age, and Tanzania, age was more an important factor, and that's because it seemed to be important that they had accumulated enough capital, they had the work experience, and they had the social and economic networks to engage in that sector. Then we wanted to see whether or not patterns were gendered. So clearly in Malawi, in this Malawi and Senegal chapter, we found that men are often dominating the rural non-farm sector, whereas in Ghana, female-headed households were sort of spearheading the rural non-farm sector. So there's quite a bit of geographic heterogeneity. In Tanzania, it was more gender neutral, but women often ran the less productive enterprises, possibly due to the gaps in education. So one thing we might want to do is perhaps have more targeted educational programs to include women. Okay, so moving on to sort of rural-urban linkages, one thing we want to see is to what extent uh, uh, youth are responsible for mi migration out of rural areas, and also to what extent as farmers they're more integrated, or as uh, rural non-farm employers, they're more integrated with urban markets. Um, we, we had a chapter in particular that dealt with migration that took a bunch of surveys in a lot, which allowed us to look at more detailed patterns of migration, also occupational mobility, and where people were moving. And what was really interesting is that youth are more likely to migrate, but most likely not for uh, work-related reasons. So in Ethiopia was a really striking example where youth were moving, moving to urban areas to attend secondary school. 
We also found um, that migration was often more common between rural areas than to urban areas. And in the Malawi and Tanzania case, we were allowed to look at more detailed patterns. And we found that although urban migration provided more higher income opportunities, it was, it was also a trade-off for, for some youth. Because on the one hand, those who were able to secure a job, they were able to get a much higher earning uh, job. Those, but there were quite a few youth who also remained unemployed two years after moving. So there's that trade-off, and it's something that we need to think about when trying to promote migration in a country. Um, Intra-rural migration also promoted income diversification, but youth often sort of kept one foot in agriculture, and what that meant was the, uh, the gains to migration were much smaller. And another thing we tried to look at was whether opportunities for rural non-farm work were sort of reliant on how close you were to an urban sector. And so there were some interesting insights that came, that came out of both the Ghana and the Malawi chapter. So on the one hand, rural youth living closer to big cities are more likely to work in non-farm activities, but proximity to small towns has mixed effects. So in Ghana, youth that were closer to small towns were more likely to work off-farm, but no such effect hap happened in Malawi. In Ghana, it was interesting because that chapter took it a bit further and tried to look at the types of job opportunities that differed by location. And there they found that we were much more likely to see informal manufacturing jobs when households were closer to small towns, for example, jobs in food processing, whereas households that were more closer to urban centers were more likely to engage in service and formal sector employment. And then Finally, there was a really nice chapter that looked at to what extent are policies identifying a rural youth problem and promoting sort of market integration for rural youth. And what we found there was avoiding youth unemployment will require some government support. Although youth employment is a major policy priority, the means of achieving this goal are not well represented in current policies. So there was a lot of emphasis on labor supply issues. How do we promote self-employment? How, how do we include different demographic groups in becoming more educated? But there was less attention paid to labor demand issues, especially how to stimulate private sector job creation in the agri-food system. So policies also rarely identified rural youth as a target group, but instead focused on youth in general, often, often implicitly giving greater weight to the needs of urban youth. So we need a more comprehensive approach to promoting youth employment in rural areas. Okay, so in general, the main conclusion of our book was Africa needs better policies, not necessarily, not necessarily youth policies. So governments are correct in emphasizing policies and investments that create more jobs and promote more inclusivity to ensure that there are enough jobs and avoid rising unemployment and protests. But these policies are not needed for young and these policies are needed for young and older workers alike. Everyone aspires to higher living standards and better working conditions, and policies that benefit young job seekers will also create a more dynamic economic environment for everyone. So our main conclusion was that Africa doesn't have a youth problem, but rather faces the broader, broader challenge of promoting inclusive growth. Okay, thanks Valerie and James. And we're very grateful to have Rui Benfica to now offer some discussant comments on the book. Um, he joined IFPRI just last year in 2019 as a senior research fellow working with our CGIR program on policies, institutions, and markets, or PIM. 
Prior to that, he was with the Research and Impact Assessment Division of the International Fund for Agricultural Development, EFAD, where he contributed to a number of projects, including helping to oversee EFAD's report on opportunities for rural youth. So therefore, he brings both a researcher's and a policymaker's perspective to this issue. Rui, please come to the podium. Thank you very much. Um, first of all, I would like to um, uh, congratulate the editors and authors for um, you know, this great work in putting together this book. I think it's a great contribution for the um, advancement of knowledge uh, in this area. Um, my presentation is going to be just a focus on, on two areas, um, the relevance and novelty of the, uh, of the book, and just some key issues uh, that I think uh, um, uh, merit a reflection, um, just so that I can use my five minutes. I think this book definitely addresses a critical, relevant issue in development today, and essentially contrasting to a you know, prior analysis that was mostly focused on established facts, this one basically combines this country, cross-country data with, um, with uh, individual country data to be able to actually uh, highlight the need to, to emphasize specificity in the, the youth issue in the transformation process. So I think the book is very well structured, you know, going through um, thematic, tra thematic trends and case studies uh, to uh, be able to um, focus on these uh, country specificity. And uh, I would like to highlight you know, three uh, main um, issues that actually we brought up as a background. This issue about the youth pouch that's not specific to Sub-Saharan Africa, um, and you know, other, country, uh, other regions have, have also experienced it, and um, you know, the, pre, uh, the um, initial conditions not being very much different, but Africa facing this particular challenge of being in a much more um, competitive global economy is one important one. The second one, the fact that Africa is fading um, um, uh, is not uh, having the traditional uh, transformation pathway like uh, Asia did have in terms of, uh, of uh, you know, agricultural productivity growth and urban employment to bring up um, you know, the um, opportunities to rural youth makes it a particularly important challenge that creating um, jobs in rural areas where, in essence, uh, youth continues to be uh, highly, highly present these days is a very important element. Uh, the third one is on the fact that the, the rural employment is not a youth issue per se, but it's more of a broader rural development issue that really needs um, broader rural development policies and uh, with youth lenses. Uh, I'd like just to touch on three issues. Uh, the book basically touches on this issue about the youth propensity to use modern technologies in agriculture, which is probably one of the most cited um, you know, drivers for optimism around the prospect of, of, of grabbing the youth dividend. But the book finds that these mixed results on, on this issue um, and also finds the inability to actually uh, uh, reach a conclusion about the productivity impacts of, um, of youth adoption of technologies. Um, and this basically highlights the, the fact that you know, context matters, country specific matters, and then the book very much highlights that and points out to the need for more data to actually, uh, and better data to actually be able to explore that further. Um, I would like to suggest that you know, to be able to explore this issue better, we didn't need to account for the fact that youth employment is not just in the agricultural node of the value chain per se, but there is a, an increasing uh, set of opportunities beyond the agricultural node of the value chain. Therefore, looking at the youth and technology has to look at you know, the broader agricultural value chain uh, um, nodes. Uh, on the other hand, I think more broadly uh, to this issue and other issues, it's important to bring up a framework that basically distinguishes between the um, um, factors that expand the opportunity for youth versus those factors that actually enable you to take advantage of those opportunities. This is actually an approach that can actually facilitate the understanding of this factor. 
The second point I would like to make is one related to the fact to question whether or not the quantitative approach used in this, in this book, with this country level data with the country data, whether or not it, um, it does not end up minimizing some essential issues regarding um, education and gender issues when um, addressing the youth employment challenge. Uh, I like that because uh, you know, the book doesn't really look at the joint effect of education and these other factors. The book highlights that other factors are more important. But on a policy standpoint, it's probably important to also know what needs to be done to actually strengthen the effect of education and skills, for example. Uh, so things like uh, you know, improving quality. We know in Africa, quality is a big problem. Um, we know that um, you know, investing in non-cognitive skills is another important area. So that may be uh, kind of uh, forgotten here when you start highlighting the other factors. The women in education can help close the gender gap. This is an important finding of the book as well. But I think it's also important to know and highlight how to invest in, in, uh, in young women, for example, uh, type of intervention, delaying marriage, uh, enabling access to resources, and targeting individuals with agency over young women is also another important thing that may be forgotten. The last point is re related to the fact that um, you know, some of the research on, on a policy standpoint have, have highlighted the fact that bundled interventions, I mean, ones that, for example, focus on, on, um, on mentoring and finance, you know, a combination of, of interventions, tend to be more impactful than individual interventions. Many of the findings in the book, you know, look at partial effects of, 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 of things, don't really look at, at, the, um, at the, you know, the joint, joint effects. So the question here is uh, whether or not the research in this book is actually capable of informing the effectiveness of bundled policies. I think it has a lot of information that can actually, um, you know, not individually just contribute to that, but it may actually um, help design research that may assess the impact of these bundled uh, interventions or on development in general. Um, to close, I would say that the book sets definitely a very good uh, standard for addressing rural employment uh, challenge in the process of agricultural transformation uh, by looking at the process from subsistence to modernized agriculture through sectoral and, and special uh, linkages, which is a very important thing. And I think future analysis, um, in order to pick up on demand side uh, uh, considerations, uh, future analysis definitely need to tackle issues such as the macro enterprise development, informality is another important thing because in Africa it's basically distinct from other regions because it's a lot more informal, uh, the, the opportunity in rural space. Uh, I value uh, agriculture, business climate, and fragility. Um, finally, um, I think a punchline here would be that in the end, what we need is rural development with youth inclusion lenses which is basically the big conclusion here, by informing balancing investments in promoting widespread rural opportunity, and those specifically focus on youth, youth, uh, um, youth um, opportunity. But it's important to keep in mind that there are three key elements to actually promote rural youth, rural youth employment, which is the productivity of youth is going to be important, the connectivity, you know, both uh, physical as well as uh, virtual connectivity, and also the agency, the ability of the young people to actually take charge of their lives and their, 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 um, their, uh, their choices. And ultimately, uh, as I think Richard Tallett said, um, you know, good policies are those ones that promote better outcomes without restricting, um, restricting um, choices. So this is definitely one important thing for youth in, in rural Africa to be able to succeed. Thank you. <laughs>